I want to call your attention to the last statement that was made. Go ahead, Kim. The last statement that was made. We set aside our differences to remember, to honor, and to thank those who have given everything that we might be free. I contrast that with the first statement that over, uh, since seven, uh, 1775, over a million people have died to buy our civil freedom. <clears throat> when I heard that, I wondered about it. This is what I discovered. In the Civil War, over 600,000 people gave their lives. In World War I, over 100,000 gave their lives. In World War II, over 400,000 gave their lives. In Korea and Vietnam, over 50,000 each conflict gave their lives. Close to 150 died in Desert Storm. And as of now, over 4,000 Americans have given their lives in our present wars. And that's not to say anything about those, those conflicts and those peacekeeping operations that uh, go without name. You see, folks, this should be a stark reminder to us that freedom is never free. Someone, somewhere, at some time, in some place, paid the price for you to be able to be here today. Paid the price for you to have the rights and the privileges of the day. And normally the price for freedom is innocent blood. Too often, it seems to this preacher that we tend to forget. We forget how good we have it. We forget what it took to buy our freedom. And we forget the responsibility that comes with freedom. My ninth grade civics teacher, Mr. Mangum, who was also our elementary school principal, he taught us quickly that if you were going to have a right, there is a duty or a responsibility that goes on along with every right you and I are given. And we're talking about civil. May I say this to you? The same thing applies for our spiritual freedom. On the screen you see it says, let us never forget. That's what I want us to think about today. And you can go ahead and turn to that scripture, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's page 1023 or thereabouts. This morning I want us to run around a little bit about this thing of never forgetting. Now we're not going to turn this to an I Worship America time, and yet we can find some truths in our country's history, in our civil history, that apply right over and help us to never forget what bought our spiritual freedom. On Memorial Day, I want us to remember. Yes, I want us to remember the people who've given their lives that we can gather today. This is unique in the world. But I want us to remember the one who gave his life that we might have life. Let's stand together and read just three verses. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, the writer writes, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source 
and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross and despised its shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer today that we will never forget that we will never forget the sacrifice that your son made on the cross. We pray that we'll never forget our country's heritage and those many million who have given their lives that we can be free. But Lord, today as we come to face you, help us to see Jesus in the way you want us to. I pray that you will speak to our hearts. And if we have forgotten him, I pray that today our minds will be restored and renewed in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let us never, ever forget. Verse 3 says, consider. You know, to consider things, you kind of take a fresh look at them. Consider him who endured such hostility. And here's why we consider. Here's why we take a look. And so we won't grow weary and lose heart. I want to suggest five things to you today. Five ways we should look. And I think we can take them directly from the text today that will help us and encourage us. And maybe even write our course. First of all, let us never forget to look back. Let us never forget to look back. You know, as a nation, when we look back in real time, We see men and women who have given their lives for our freedom. You take a look back in real time. These are not just names. These are people who said, give me liberty or give me death. These these are the, the people who said, I regret I have but one life to live for my country. These are the people who went on the front lines of the battle and paid the price for your freedom and for my freedom with their own blood. May I just say this to you? We can look back and hear all those folks talk, but you can look into our military today. Every Wednesday night on our prayer sheet, there's a list of about, I don't know, 10 or 12 names that are uh, connected to this congregation who are presently serving active military in this big, difficult time, putting their life on the line as someone who has lived in military communities for over 15, close to 20 years, having ministered in those military communities. Here's what I'll tell you about our military folks. They are passionate about protecting this country and the freedoms which we have. The freedoms, quite honestly, which on Main Street we kind of take for granted. They don't take it for granted at all. But folks, let us not be so consumed with our civil freedom that we forget our spiritual freedom. And let us look back. It says here, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, you can go into this book and you can go back to chapter 11 and you can find all of those spiritual people who've gone before us and think about all their lives. You look back, you find in chapter 11, verse 4, you find Abel, verse 5. You find Enoch, verse 7, you find Noah, verse 8, you find Abraham, verse 11, you find Sarah, verse uh, 20, you find Isaac, verse 23, you find Moses, 
verse uh, uh, 30, you find Rahab. Can you believe that? Verse 32, he gets the long laundry list. He says, Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And he said he could go on naming more and more because in the history of Christendom, there have been per- person after person, people after people who have given their lives that we can know Christ. Then you move to the New Testament. You consider the disciples. Every one of the original 12 disciples died a death because of faith. You go, no, Brother Jerry. Judas died at his own hand, but he died because of his lack of faith. He had stared Jesus in the face and and rejected Jesus, and he died at his own hands. Those disciples were so passionate about what Jesus was teaching that some of them were sawn in two. Some of them's heads were severed. Some of them were crucified. Some crucified upside down. Because these are the folks who laid the foundation. You can go to those forerunners of the the deacons that we find in Acts chapter 6. And you know what? The very first martyr after that was a deacon who was stoned. You see, we have it so good. We've had it so good for so long that we neglect to look back because we forget what it cost us. And never, and never let it go without saying that there is one who gave all, that we might have all. And that's Jesus. You know, when I look at our text, and I think about that great cloud of witnesses, when I think about looking back, I think about a grandma, um, we called her Mama, a stalwart in the faith. You think back in your family, it could be a grandma, it could be a granddad. It could be a mom or a dad. It could be an aunt or an uncle, or it could be a pastor. It could be a Sunday school teacher. I want you to look back for a second, and I want you to think about that person that you know stood in the gap in your life. That person without whose influence you would not be where you are today. You would not know the Lord. Think about their passion and their love for you. And let that be your motivating factor to get it right in this generation. We live in a generation that's dark and we need some passion for the Lord. And I want to warn you, looking back can be painful. Looking back can be painful. Because anytime you're in a battle, you have casualties of war. I never cease to be amused at the people who don't think we're in a battle. If we're not in a battle, why did Paul write so much about putting on the spiritual armor? Why did he tell the Corinthians that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not fleshly? You know what? I'll tell you, if you go into battle and you're not ready to be in battle, you'll become a casualty. When you think about casualties of war, you think of... You think of two designations. You think of MIAs and KIAs, missing in action and killed in action. Have you ever really given any thought to what it, to the MIA, to those missing in action? They're on the front line, and all of a sudden they're unaccounted for. It's the worst thing that can happen to a family. I suggest to you that there are three things that could happen to a, an MIA. First of all, he could have become a detainee. That means he got captured by the enemy. I mean, he was out there serving his country, and he got captured by the enemy. Or he didn't join them, he got captured. Second thing that could happen is they could become a deserter. 
They got out in the face of the battle, and the battle got too fierce, and so they went to a place where they could lay low, went to another country. Or the third thing is they could have died. They could have given all to the very end. And then they moved from an MIA to a KIA, killed in action. May I just say this to you, and you may not like that illustration because it's so, it's so poignant to us with people in harm's way. But consider this. In the forces of God, when you look at the history of the church, we can discover that there have been believers out on the front line who have been captured by the enemy. They held captive. Oh, the enemy's probably not ever going to turn them to their side, but he holds them captive so they, they have no spiritual power. You do have some who started in the way, deserted. Oh, they didn't put on their spiritual warfare, so when they got out there in the middle of the warfare, they were... They were fresh meat for the enemy. I'll say this to you. Greater is he who is in you, if you're a believer, than he who is in the world. But listen to me. Greater is he who is in the world than you are by yourself. He will defeat you. And then there are some spiritual folks who have given their entire life everything they have. You know what the truth is, as I think about this, when we look back and remember this, we need to be reminded, first of all, that we're in action. That we're in the action. If we're a believer. If we're going to look back, it causes us to, to look at our heart. And to see if our heart ever was changed by the power of God. <clears throat> I didn't say your lifestyle's changed. I didn't say your decision-making changed. I said your heart changed at the very root level, which brings us to number two. Number one, let's don't forget, let us not forget to look back. Let us not forget that we have this cloud of witnesses that, that's looking over us. It can be our family lineage. It can be the lineage that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. But there are people who are watching us. I think there are people who are standing over the banister of heaven probably watching. The second thing, let's don't forget, Let's, let us never forget to look inside. Inside. The scripture begins, uh, uh, don't, look, don't forget to look back. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now watch what he goes to. He says, but let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us never forget <clears throat> to look inside. I mean, think about it. In this text, he says, wait and sin are the same thing. Weight and sin are the same thing. Can you imagine going into a battle carrying three or four, as a foot soldier, carrying three or four hundred extra pounds on your back for no reason? Now, those foot soldiers always already carry enough weight. But can you imagine just adding three or four hundred pounds on their back? Can you imagine a boxer stepping into a ring with... 50 or 75 pound gloves on his hands. You go, well, that'd be good if he ever landed a blow. He probably would never get it above his waist with any speed to land a blow. 
Because you see, that weight is an obstruction. It's a hindrance. It's a barrier to victory. Please listen. You and I will never have spiritual victory. We will never have spiritual power as long as we have sin present in our lives. Let us never forget to look inside. And until we, until we take it off, till we cast it aside, till we put it to down, put it down, till we put it to death, Our lives, our spiritual lives will be lives of frustration. Be lives of defeat. It'll be, we'll live lives of discouragement. One of the reasons, are you listening? One of the reasons so many people who claim to be believers are so discouraged today and so negative is because they have one foot in the world and one foot in the church And they're miserable in both. When I think of the picture of somebody having a foot in the world and a foot in the church, you know what I'm reminded of, Bob? I'm reminded of my days on the uh, farm. I remember how many of those times that I tried to jump a fence and I wound up straddling. Now, is anybody else's eyes watering? Because my eyes just watered when I said that. Whether it's a physical fence or whether it's a spiritual fence, when you straddle a fence, it's painful. You see, the truth is, the truth is, for the people who have that foot in the world, foot in the church, and they're miserable, you know what you discover? Now listen, this might be worth your price of admission today. You find that people like that play the blame game. Play the blame game. I got to thinking about it this week as I was praying, Troy. You know what I've discovered? This is a personal observation. This is not a scientific survey. This is one man. The most popular game in America today is not football. It's not baseball. It's not hockey. It's not soccer. It's not golf. The most popular game we play in America today is the blame game. It's always somebody else's fault. Surely it can't be my fault. My children, not on your life. I believe that that's the reason the Bible speaks so often and so much to being deceived and self-deceived. Have you ever done a little walk through the Bible where it talks to us about being deceived? Let's just do this. See if, you, see if it'll work, Cameron. Verse Romans 3.13. Now, this. let me just tell you about this. 3.13 falls as a quotation from the Old Testament. It's, verse 10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. And then speaking about lost people, it says their throat, their throat, is an open grave, and they deceive with their tongues. This tells us that lost people are going to try to deceive believers. Go ahead, if you will. First Corinthians, he says, no one should deceive himself. Oops, you mean I can deceive myself? Well, that's what the Scripture says. Go ahead, Kim. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. You see, our world tells us all we got to do is try our best, do our best, and hope for the best, and we'll get there. But we cannot do enough to gain the righteousness of God. We cannot do enough to gain His high standard, and it is deception to believe that. Go ahead, Cam. Do not be deceived. Who you run with will corrupt you. That's the watch translation. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It doesn't matter how good you are. When we start running with people who, who are of Satan, who are of the evil, who are of the negative, you know what will happen? More times than not, the believer will be pulled down. We're not susceptible. Go ahead, if you will. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, 
He is deceiving himself. Still self-deception. Go ahead. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For because of these things, God's wrath is coming to the disobedient. That empty literally means vain. Go ahead, Kim. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Go ahead, Kim. Evil people. Now, let me just pause here before I read this. This is Paul's word, his last letter that he ever penned, wrote it to a young preacher. He's speaking about things going on in the church. And watch this. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse. I always, when I read this part of Timothy, I am reminded of Jude, where it said, men have crept in unaware. It's not talking about people outside the church here. He's talking about people who who claim the name of Christ. Evil people, those who come in, those who have come in by stealth, it says in one place. And imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think we have one more. No, two more. But each person when he is tempted, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. And you know where your deception comes from? When you're tempted. You know, the King James Version, this is one of those passages I really love, the King James Version, because it says lust, sin, and death. And the reason that sticks with me is because as part of the 60s and 70s generation, LSD was a big drug. LSD, lust, sin, and death. Lust gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, brothers. Go ahead, one more. And then John says this. Little children, let no one deceive you. Here's how to know who is righteous and who is not. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Don't be deceived because deception is a danger. Self-deception, deception from other people. And when we refuse to look inside of ourselves, you know what happens? That sin takes hold. And the weight of sin, which obstructs our walk with Christ, takes hold. And you know what? Let me tell you the result of that. If you are a true believer and sin takes hold and begins to weigh you down, here's what happens. You sense the Spirit of God withdrawing from you. Brother Jerry, I don't believe that. Oh, you don't? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to pray and you felt like your prayers didn't get above the ceiling? Have you ever tried to talk to God and you felt like He wasn't listening? Have you ever lost the sense of God's presence in your life? If you have, one of the reasons could be a real refusal that you've refused to look at the sin in your life. You know what he tells us about sin? The scripture, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, Put to death whatever in you is worldly. And he lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed. And then he says, put away the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie to one another. And put off the old man and put on the new man. You see, when we look inside, we come face to face with who we are. You say, okay, Brother Jerry, how do, how do I do this? Well, you look and you recognize that it's sin. 
hard thing for prideful Americans to do. Hard thing for prideful Americans to do. When you recognize it's sin, the message of Jesus has always been the same. Repent. And I just want, I'm going to give you a secret today. I think, it, I think it applies, I think it will stand up to biblical scrutiny. It works for me. If you tried to repent of your sin and you just try to go cold turkey, maybe it's something that you just slipped in your life. Maybe it's the way you talk. Maybe it's the way you think. Maybe it's a habit that you have. But if there's that sin in your life and you begin to deal with it and you want to get, and you're just going to go cold turkey, you may not get done. Watch this. Always replace it with something. What do you replace it with? You got a good dose of God's Word. You got a good dose of prayer. You may have a good, you may just need to sit down and have a good dose of listening for Him. Look inside. After we look back and we see the cloud of witnesses rooting us on, wanting us to do well, they've given their time and their life and their energy in service for our Lord Jesus. Look inside. You know the thing that you may find out inside? You may find that you don't find the Lord at all because when you go back and look inside honestly, you may not have ever let him come into your life and really change you from the inside out. And then, I suggest, number three, that you look forward. That you look forward. The scripture says, look back. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Look inside. Lay, lay aside the, the weight of sin and now look forward. And he says, and run with endurance the race that lies before us. You know, he tells us if we'll put off those weights, we're ready to run forward. If you'll just look forward. Now, I want to give you this illustration which kind of ties together this looking inside and, and the weight of sin and looking forward. In high school, I don't know if they do it today. In high school, we would put on ankle weights. Is that a yes, Teddy? Ankle weights. <clears throat> The reason we put on ankle weights is because we would put on ankle weights and we would practice basketball in particular in these ankle weights. Now, can you imagine the object of basketball is to jump as high as you can, stay up as long as you can, and be able to move as fast as you can. Well, when you've got um, about 15 pounds of weight on your ankle, can you imagine that slows you down? Hello? Have I lost you? And so here's what happens is that you work out and you practice with them and then one day you remove the weights and you find yourself at least feeling so that you can jump higher and run faster. May I suggest this to us that when we remove the weights, if we're trying to run the race for Jesus, he wants us to remove the weights because those weights are going to pull us down. Perhaps you know in your heart, that years ago God called you to do a ministry. Perhaps he called you to do something specific. Oh, it could be vocational. But perhaps that he called you to do something specific. And yet every step you take seems to be an effort because life's pulling you down. Could it be that the weight is still around your neck or around your ankle? And so, or, or maybe it's just a matter, instead of looking back and being encouraged by the people who come before you, 
you look back and you remember all your faults and your failures. Listen, Satan will deceive you into believing that there is no future for you. There's no reason to look forward. There's no reason to look at the mark. There's no reason to look at the prize. There's no reason to look ahead because you've already failed. And if you keep looking back like that, you may turn into a pillar of salt. You see, when we look back, we remember those who've gone before us. They serve as the passion. We remember Jesus and what He's done for us. And then we move forward. I'm reminded, when I think about looking ahead, I'm reminded of the granddad who had his three sons in the field working. Now, I never worked a farm like this. When I say a farm, I'm talking about 30 or 40 acres. When we were in Yazoo City, had this young man named Jesse. He worked a farm that was 2,000 to 2,200 acres of soybean. I mean, he drove a tractor, at least that's what he called it. This was in the 70s. It was a tractor that had an enclosed cab, air conditioning, radio. He, uh, uh, he went out every day and drive eight, nine, ten hours a day. He'd drive that tractor. He told me one time, he said, you just put me on that tractor and let me ride. And... But now here's the thing. I look at those big fields over there, if you've ever been through the Delta or, or any place like that, is that... I look at those big fields and I wonder, how in the world do you plow such straight rows? I'm sure they have a way to do this, but I was impressed. Because I can get offline in 30 foot, let alone a thousand acres. But this granddad had his uh, sons out in the field, had three of them, and he said, guys, I'll give y'all, evidently he was having the same problem, he said, guys, I'll give whoever does this best, I'll give you five bucks. Whoever walks the straightest line from the end of the field over to me. Okay, Grandpa. And so the first one started out, and he was watching his feet, making sure, oh, they were straight. But you know what they did? Timed off. The second one decided he was going to do better than that, so he watched the path. You know what the third one did? The third one got in place and he put his eyes on his granddad and he ran toward him. You see, folks, we should never forget to look forward, which brings us to the thing we, if you look forward, you know what you're going to do? You're going to look up, number four. You know who you look up to? You look up to see Jesus. It says in verse two, he says, keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know why? Because he's the author. That means he's the source of your faith. He is the perfecter. That means he's the finisher and the completer of your faith. That means it starts with him, it runs with him, and it's lived out through him. It ends with him. It's all about him. And if we never look up to him, we'll never live for him. Now, when you look to Jesus, let me just tell you a couple of things. The first call Jesus makes to each of us is to repent. He says you're a sinner. He says your sin separates you from him. He tells you that he's the one that paid the price for your sin. And he calls you to new life, to eternal life. And you can either look up 
and invite him into your life and receive his invitation to abundant life here and eternal life beyond, or you can reject him. Did you know you can reject Jesus? People are doing it every day. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm criticized about not being fiery enough, not preaching on hellfire. got an unsigned letter. I don't preach on hellfire enough. You need to hear me. Whether your preacher stands in the pulpit and yells it with a red face, with sweat, here's what I want to tell you, or whether he whispers it, hell is still at the end of a Christ-rejecting life. And in hell, watch this, there is pain, there is suffering, there is loneliness. This is not a party place. I want to just draw your attention, just one little snippet. This is for free. When the rich man wound up in hell, it is true that he asked for help for his living relatives, but he never asked for anything for his relatives in hell. Do you know why? Because he didn't see anybody in hell because hell is a place of utter Loneliness. It is a place apart from the love of God. It is a place apart from love at all. It is a place of punishment and pain. And just like heaven, it's forever. Don't play with your life. My fear is someone in this room will play this part. Oh, I'm a good, I'm a good church member. And you never let Jesus change your heart. Look up today. I'll tell you where to look up. You can look up to that cross. Because you see Jesus, the one who loves you. He is the one who was arrested in the middle of the night. He is the one who was abused, spit on, beat on. He is the one that wore the crown of thorns. He is the one that was crucified. He is the one that was scourged. And he did it for you and for me. Look up. I want to give you one last. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. I'm going to tell you last, let us never forget to look down. Down? Did I actually write that? Down? Why do you look down? Here's why. He says, Who for the joy laid before him endured the cross and despised the shame. You talk about shame, by its very nature, you look down. Sadly, please hear me, I'm almost done. Sadly, we live in a culture today that's almost shameless. Things that would have made my generation and a lot of your generations go to their room by themselves in shame don't even phase us anymore so much immorality, sensuality, and plain perversion, we find ourselves not being embarrassed. Jesus endured the shame, the embarrassment of the cross, the death of a criminal for you and me. It was a shameful place. And when we look down, can I just make this suggestion to you? When you look down at the cross, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see blood. I want you to look down because I want you to see at the foot of that cross that that blood is his. 
And that blood should be yours and mine. He died so that you don't have to. He gave his all so that you don't have to give your all. If you see his blood, how someone died for you, would it not shame you to know that God gave his only son for you? I'll tell you another thing about looking down. In fact, I'll add it. This is not even in the outline. Look around. Look around. And you'll discover that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes the same way. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those folks are cheering us on and motivating us, hopefully, as we look back at them. We look inside at the sin that so easily ensnares us. We look forward to the race that we're supposed to be running, and we look up at the one whom we're supposed to be running for. And then we look down, and our hearts are broken that it cost him so much. May I say this to you? Let us never forget these things because Jesus is calling you and me today. He's calling some of us to salvation. He's calling some of us to recommitment. He's calling us, some of us to church membership, but he's calling all of us to service. Is he calling you? Let's pray together.